0: After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great! She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries, The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth were rich from her excessive luxuries. On to verse 11. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood. And articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendour have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth is brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and the weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets. For God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters, will never be heard in you again. No work of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants, the world's important people, by a magic spell all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: If you've got your Bibles with you, could I just suggest you keep them open? Because this is quite a complicated passage and I'll probably point out a couple of bits from the actual text as we go through. Let me just pray and then we'll dig in to what Jenny's just read for us. Father, we do thank you that your word is living and active and Lord, we pray that you would come and open it up to us tonight lord help us understand your revelation to john and what it means for us today amen as amanda said we're coming to the end of our series on revelation and we're reaching the concluding chapters where john shifts his imagery and starts a spectacular contrast of two cities. This week, we'll look at Babylon. Next week, we're looking at Jerusalem. A few weeks ago, my aunt came over from Canada to meet up with my wider family, and she came to Winchester to spend the day with us. She'd never been to Winchester before, so we did all the usual tourist things. We found the hares, we went for a walk down by the weirs, outrun the back of Woolsey, saw the house where Jane Austen died, and went to the cathedral. Her favorite place that she saw in Winchester was the cathedral. And as we explained to her the significance of the stained glass window above the big red doors at the entrance, she understood and appreciated the cathedral much more And the thing is, when we understand the significance of Babylon, we understand why John was talking about it. And the people who originally read Revelation would have been so familiar with Babylon, John didn't need to spend time explaining it to them. And once we understand the significance of Babylon, we have a better understanding of the significance of the fall of Babylon. If you were to look in Google Maps, you won't find Babylon. Found in modern-day Iraq, not far from Baghdad, Babylon was a mighty city. Its name means the Gate of God or the Holy City. It was a spectacular city known throughout the region. Built as a large square, it had a network of roads crossing through the city, and Babylon could be seen from miles away. It was established on seven hills, surrounded by a massive moat, And some parts of the city wall were over 300 feet tall and 75 feet wide. That sounds pretty impressive to me. And Babylon was a strategic, political, military and economic center. It dominated the region in every sense. If John was writing today, he would probably call Babylon a superpower. And Babylon would definitely have been one of the G20 nations. Babylon was a prosperous city. In our reading, John records the merchants of the earth grew rich from Babylon's excessive luxuries. John gives a detailed description of the types of things that the merchants were selling gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple silk, and scarlet cloth. And the list goes on and includes exotic spices and livestock. When Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, he built a magnificent causeway set high above all the roads that could be seen throughout the city. It was decorated with walls made of polished blue and white tiles, created into spectacular mosaics. Stepping back to admire his handiwork, he declared, is this not the great Babylon that I have built? And let's not forget the world-famous Hanging Gardens one of the seven wonders of the ancient world and the wonderful rivers of Babylon. Who would want to live anywhere else? Babylon must have come first in the Times Best Places to to Live listing so many times it would have given Winchester a run for its money. And we need to remember that Revelation is prophetic in nature. What John's doing is he's describing what the Holy Spirit has revealed to him. And reading Revelation is more complicated than perhaps reading one of the Gospels or one of Paul's letters. John was writing to Christians who were struggling with the culture in which they lived. Revelation is just as relevant today as it was when John first wrote it. And John often uses powerful imagery to speak. Of much deeper issues. And as fascinating as it is, I doubt John intended revelation to be a history lesson. Instead, John wants us to be aware of the real dangers presented by glorious Babylon. We need to look beyond the history of perhaps one of the most powerful nations in the history of the Bible to understand what Babylon really represents. So look with me at verse 1. When the angel appeared, the earth was illuminated by his splendour. Before the angel appears, the world is living in darkness. Only once Babylon has fallen can the angel appear, bringing magnificent light on the whole earth. There is a much more sinister side to Babylon, which would not be mentioned in any of the tourist guides or the glossy brochures from the estate agents. The mighty military force of Babylon conquered any nation that stood in its way, taking prisoners as they rampaged through the land, leaving carnage in its wake. Babylon had a fierce reputation for crossing nations and stripping all the resources as it expanded throughout the surrounding area. Babylon was involved in human trafficking. When John lists the cargo that the merchants were trading, we see in verse 13, John says, human beings were being sold as slaves. And of course, we can't forget that Babylon was the destination for thousands of Israelites who were forcibly removed from the comfort of their homes and held captive in Babylon. We tend to gloss over that and we sanitize the trauma and we talk about the Israel being in exile. No wonder so many of the Old Testament prophets spoke out and declared God's judgment about Babylon. With this backdrop, it's no wonder that when we come to the New Testament and we see Babylon, it's often used as a metaphor to represent oppression or captivity. The second thing that Babylon represents is an attitude in our hearts. We first come across Babylon in the early chapters of Genesis before the city itself has actually been built. In Genesis 11, we read of a group of people who wanted to build a city for themselves. They built a large tower so that they could reach up to God. We know this city by an alternative name. We call it Babel, which is an earlier form of the word Babylon. When Babel was built, God had told the people to disperse throughout the world. But the people decided that they knew best and wanted to congregate in one place. So thinking about Babylon as a heart attitude, Babylon represents those times when we are arrogant and try to live without clear reference to what God is asking us to do. It's those times when we decide that we know best and we can live our life. Without God. John knew that the physical geographical city of Babylon was destroyed around about 689 BC. But in Revelation 18, he writes about Babylon in the present and the future tense. John, John portrays Babylon as a spiritual realm, it's a dominion of darkness. And Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, which was one of the churches who would have received one of the seven letters from John right at the beginning of Revelation. And Paul makes this point, and he wrote, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. If we look carefully at Revelation 18 verse 2, John tells us about the current residence of Babylon. He writes, she has become a dwelling place for demons or haunt for every impure spirit. The rivers and the hanging gardens of Babylon are not quite so appealing now. Living in Babylon affects our spiritual lives. The psalmist reflected on the period called the exile when Israel spent time in Babylon and he wrote this. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. Our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? When we live in Babylon, our hearts become hardened towards God, and we find it harder to meet with God in worship. All that Babylon offers to the people of God is captivity, demons and impure spirits for neighbours, and an inability to worship. So what does it look like to live in Babylon today? The culture and values of any city are defined by the people who live there. So when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. Babylon represents that deep desire within all of us to be popular and stand out among our peers, even if that means stepping on other people in the way to the top. It represents that dark side of our hearts where we face that battle of doing what God wants us to do, rather than pursuing the secret desires of our hearts and our deep rooted passion to be in control of our own life. Babylon represents that constant challenge we face to increase our own reputation, which distracts us from following God as closely as we know we should. Today, the appeal of Babylon is not so much the hanging gardens and the fantastic mosaics, but it presents itself in that desire to stand out from others, to chase the next promotion, to own the latest version of the new gadget, or to live in a better postcode. When our agenda and our own sense of entitlement means that we haven't got time to show appreciation to the person waiting on us in a restaurant, or the person serving us in a shop, When we don't have time to be kind and compassionate and instead we treat people like commodities, we're acting like Babylonians. Whenever we strive for position or recognition or when reaching the next performance target at work is more important than the team around us who who help us achieve our best, we're being Babylonian in our behaviours. When we serve in church, because we want people to recognize and notice our gifts, rather than because we want our gifts to bring glory to God. We're no better than the Babylonians. Let me offer a contrast. Jenny and I have really enjoyed watching the Commonwealth Games recently, and there was one athlete who really stood out amongst her peers. Having won a gold medal in the long jump, rather than bathing in the adulation of the crowd and doing a lap of honor, She found her friends and family in the crowd and there was a beautiful moment when they prayed together. It was so unusual the commentator was lost for words. That athlete modelled what it means to stand against the prevailing culture of Babylon in which we live. She took time to give the praise and glory to God and thanked him for her abilities and her achievements. When the angel appears in Revelation 18, he declares that Babylon and all who live there have been destroyed. If Revelation were a film, this is the part where the smoke clears to leave the rubble with a lone messenger climbing up through the stones, declaring fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. If we've been taken captive by Babylon, there's hope. Paul writes with confidence that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, Jesus. When my aunt came to visit recently, she proudly showed me her two passports. One is a British passport, the other is a Canadian passport. She has dual citizenship and can enjoy the luxury of being a citizen of Canada and the United Kingdom at the same time. But Paul is quite clear. Our citizenship of the people of God is in heaven. John offers us an escape route if we're caught in Babylon. In verse 4, the angel addresses the people of God who are in Babylon, and the angel declares, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive Any of her plagues. In 1861, as the Confederate States of America were forming an allegiance, one question was being asked. Which side are you on? Whole towns, cities, states, and families declared themselves as supporters as either the North or the South. There was a mass exodus as people chose which side they were on. Today, we have a similar choice. We can choose to continue to live in Babylon, or we can allow God to rescue us from the dominion of darkness. Which city will you choose to live in? Amen.